This should be played at high volume. Live and local, this is the game. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. It's Saturday, and you know what that means. Finally time for the world-famous CD to step to the mic for two straight hours of no-holds-barred sports talk. It's better than Desperate Housewives. Are you ready? You better get ready. Yeah! Because Under the Dome with CD starts right now. Let's do it. I'm ready. Let's do it. Do it. And good morning, everyone. Hopefully you're having a fantastic Saturday morning. I know I sure am because I am here, not in the studio this week, but for once, yours truly is inside the Twin Peaks Lodge out on Johnson Street. It's a Saturday morning right after Thanksgiving, but we're getting you geared up for a big old rivalry Saturday. I'm seeing game day surrounding me like no tomorrow. We are all the way here for it. Appreciate you listening in. However you're doing, so be it through the towers of power that are 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Everywhere else. On our free mobile apps, 1037thegame.com, 1041thegame.com, and also your Amazon Echoes and your Google Homes, your Google Assistant. Just tell it to play the game Southwest Louisiana and bada bing, bada boom. We are right there for you to enjoy nothing but great sports talk 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days, a doggone year. Hopefully you're having a good one. I know I sure am because, again, I'm here with you. Live from Twin Peaks on Johnson. Give me some deets about that in just a few. But I think it's time to kind of get into one of the biggest stories in sports over the last few days. So let's waste next to no time. My guy D. Witt, let's get down to brass tacks and talk about what's causing all this on a Louisiana Saturday morning. The famous CD is on his soapbox to start your Saturday. Who testifies? It's time for your Saturday sports sermon. I think that there's a There we go. All right, now I can hear hear myself a little bit. There's probably a valid debate that being a quarterback in any market is absolute hell. Just look at Cleveland. It's been about 23 years of absolutely mediocre football. Daryl, the music. Cut the music. All right, there we go. I was overhearing a bunch of other stuff, so let me go ahead and get this going. There's probably a valid debate that being a quarterback in any market is absolute hell. Just look at Cleveland. It's been about 23 years of mediocre football, and we're talking since they were brought back from the dead back in 1999. From Tim Couch to Baker Mayfield, whoever has had that position, it's been a sea of mid. It's been an absolute mess. Baker may be the anomaly for that one year, but he's gone now. 
But we talk about that. I think one franchise in particular that has just been absolutely horrible, it's got to be the New York football Jets for one reason or another have an ability to corrupt and derail a young quarterback's career more than anyone else in the entire National Football League. Seriously, they've only had one, literally just one truly great quarterback in the history of their franchise. That's obviously Broadway Joe, Joe Namath. Then you look at it, it's a sea of mid, and you have had at least one quarterback that showed a lot of promise and potential in Mark Sanchez. But, of course, he couldn't lead that team to the promised land, and then the New England Patriots kind of derailed him in a huge way with the infamous butt fumble. Now you look at the next few guys, one of them in particular, Sam Darnold. He was supposed to be that guy. Remember whenever everybody was just absolutely like loving what they saw based on the film of one Sam Darnold, which wasn't too long ago. Lo and behold, the Jets loused it up. Jets did Jets things. And after he did his best Haley Joel Osment starting to see in ghosts, he got shipped off to the Carolina Panthers for basically a washing machine. Now you have Zach Wilson, a good quarterback, but apparently has next to zero idea of how to take accountability for screwing his team out of a win last Sunday against the Patriots. That's where this whole thing started. Like, all you have to say is, yes, the offense let him down. I let them down. Again, using I. I screwed up. I'm the one that messed up big time. That's the biggest issue there. And also he has to say, I have to do better. Do that, and he's playing on Sunday. We wouldn't be talking about him at all on this show because, again, we're based in Lafayette, Louisiana, not New York. Then again, they play in East Rutherford, New Jersey, but that's a different conversation. But I guess Zach Wilson didn't get any media training at BYU. Here's the thing, though. I'm completely in favor of Robert Sala doing this and calling it a quote-unquote reset of Wilson's career. Dude, for a while, has been the big man on campus, going back to when he was at BYU to now. He pretty much got thrown into that franchise, like into the fire. We talk about it a lot when we look at quarterbacks. That's the biggest thing that's probably going to hurt a QB in the NFL is starting off really, really hot and playing and immediately getting that starting position in the NFL. It's tough to do. And Zach Wilson, he wilted under the pressure of that. And he has the potential to be a good to great quarterback. He's shown that, especially this season. But when you're just thrown out there and they've and you're part of a franchise in the Jets that has chewed up and spit out quarterbacks faster than a locomotive. You cannot tell me that's where you're at. Sometimes you have to knock these guys down a couple of pegs in order for them to really get the message, in order for it to really ring home. That's kind of what I've noticed from this young man out of BYU. And I say young, he's probably damn near 30. Because we all know these BYU kids, they stay there for like eight years. Case in point, one Taysom Hill. He's about my age. But I really hope this isn't the end of the line for him. Because he has the potential to be a great quarterback. And the crazy part is, this team is showing promise. They have a 5-2 and two record with him under center in 2022. It's something I did not expect to hear about, that the Jets actually have a good quarterback. That's the biggest thing that I've been wondering about for a while. 
And this is a guy who could have a chance to do something great. Now, you, if you're Robert Sala, you want to kind of keep this guy long-term. You don't want to have to keep doing this never-ending rotation because I guarantee you it doesn't work out all that well. Go look at Troy Aikman, after the Cowboys after Aikman. It took him a while to find that guy, and now they seemingly have that guy in Dak Prescott, but can he get him back to that upper echelon? That's the question. Now, he just needs to kind of get himself right before he goes too far on that other side of the spectrum and joins the Sam Darnolds, joins the, the the Mark Sanchez's of the world, joining those guys and being the island that misfit toys, the Baker Mayfields, the list goes on and on and on. There's a lot of quarterbacks that have had chances. This is an opportunity to have a second chance if you're one Zach Wilson. And I hope he takes that to heart. And he's seemingly starting to do so. When he spent some time with the media earlier this week, he basically is saying, I should have handled that better. He is taking complete ownership of his mess up. And that's how a quarterback should be. Now, does he start another game in 2022? I'd say probably. Because to be quite honest, he's got this team having a golden opportunity to get into a second wild card spot, which honestly I don't think has happened in over well over a decade, to be honest with you. And you look at him, again, 5-2, and two, it looks good. That said, if Mike White goes off, I think they do go with the hot hand, a lot like what we've seen with the Saints and Dennis Allen. Now, the hot hand, whether or not they're healthy, it depends on how D.A. is feeling that day. I think Salah is going to make the right decision and kind of move forward with one guy in particular, and that's Zach Wilson. He's going to give him a few weeks to get his mind right, and then he'll get him back out there. If he keeps screwing up and possibly loses the team, that's what's going to hurt him more than anything. And I wouldn't be surprised if that happens, they would wind up eating his contract and trading him away because that's kind of the situation you're in if you're the New York football Jets. If you don't, if I have a guy that you're basically paying gobs of money to just sit on the bench, I'd much rather trade him and try and get some value out of it. That, again, that's just me. But I'm hoping this is a temporary situation rather than a long-term benching for a guy that has a ton of potential. All right, it's out of the dome with CD. We got a lot to get to. We got some great content coming your way, including Scott Rabley. He'll be joining the program at the bottom of the hour to talk LSU, Texas A&M. But when we come back, I want to get to high school football. It was a fantastic night. Not necessarily as wet and wild as I thought it was going to be, but still some raindrops all across the state of Louisiana, as teams are getting that much closer to Caesar Superdome and the state championships. We'll break down what happened in the quarterfinals next, right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. We are Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and we are also your home for the LSU Tigers and those World Series champion Houston Astros. Who is the world-famous CD, really? Whatever you think, when you think sports radio, he's the exact opposite. Yes, I will do the opposite. Let's get back to Under the Dome with CD before he starts acting like Costanza. George is getting upset! On the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 
Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers. In fact, I'm seeing a hype video for the final Friday of the regular season, getting ready for LSU A&M later on this afternoon. Pre-game at 4 o'clock, kickoff at 6, and you'll hear all the action right here on the game as they get ready to maybe get to 10-2, and two, which honestly I don't think anybody ever saw coming. We'll talk about that and more with the guy Scott Rabelais in about 10, 12 minutes. But in the meantime, and in between time, we got time for you here. We're live at Twin Peaks on Johnston where they've got teeth chattering, 29-degree beer. I'm looking directly at their system right now. They're not open at the moment. But when they open up, those things will be 29 degrees or lower, I guarantee you. And maybe, just maybe, I might have one of those cold brews before too long. That said, let's get to some high school football action week, excuse me, quarterfinals. So you're saying week 10, week 11 when it comes to the NFL and college. But we're in the quarterfinals right now, and it was interesting with Acadian area teams We'll start off with the game you heard last night on this station. That is St. Thomas Moore getting a win, 56-34 over Madison Prep. It was kind of a back-and-forth game, not quite as pendulum-y as we saw last night during the Florida-Florida State game. But STM pulled ahead, got some revenge after their season ended short of a state title last year at the hands of Madison Prep. And now the Cougars are one step closer to getting back to the Dome this time in two weeks when they play Edie White next Friday night. I believe that's going to be over at Edie White's campus. Meanwhile, the Carrico Golden Bears, they were up 22-7 at the break early on here. And somehow, someway, they were able to hold on because it looked like they were going to have an Atlanta Falcons-like implosion in the second half. But the Golden Bears were able to come up aces and get past a team that has had their number in the past when it comes to the postseason. They've ran into them so many times, and it feels like they run through a buzzsaw. But this time, they were able to kind of exercise some demons and secure a very nice win over Warren Easton by the score of 29-20. to Next up, that program has a state semifinal date with Brother Martin. And I could tell when I was listening to the tail end of the broadcast last night with our guys Ben Love and Blaine Viator, good friends of mine, I absolutely could tell in their voice they're playing with house money. It, everything else after this point is Lanyap. Hell, to a certain extent, it feels like everything after Acadiana was Lanyap. Getting this team to a state semifinals, I don't think anybody saw that coming. Had that on their bingo card heading into the season. But as a proud Golden Bear alum, I am all the way here for it. Some other games on the St. Landry Parish Game of the Week, which you heard on News Talk 98.5. Opelousas Catholic came up short against Ascension Catholic 21-12, but it really wasn't that close. The score does not indicate how relatively one-sided this one was. Meanwhile, Southside, I'm not going to say magical season because I'm going to say that a lot on this show today. This is mythical what they did. Not just beating teams like Karen Crow, but also beating Acadiana and winning the 3-5A district title, a title that pretty much had been, like, I'll say it, was being held dominion over by Acadiana. Like, Acadiana was pretty much 
Alabama Crimson Tide football when it came to comparing those two programs. Love it. Southside, though, their season did end with a heartbreaker, losing 48-37. to It was a bit of a pendulum ball game. Southside was able to get an early edge, but the game started to get into the Broncos' favor, and the Shark Tank and the Sharks' magical season. I was, there you go. I said it. I didn't want to say it, but I'm going to say it. It was a magical, mythical, legend, wait for it, dairy-type season for Southside. And now the Broncos are one step closer. They'll be taking on top-seeded Ruston next Friday night. North Vermillion, their season was spoiled by West Feliciana being shut out 30 to nothing. Absolutely disappointing right there. West Feliciana is going to have six-seed Lutcher in the semifinals. Definitely interesting how that one's going to turn out. Wouldn't be surprised if West Feliciana does indeed come away with a dub and advances to state this time next week against Lutcher, who has kind of been the Cinderella story of that division. And again, give credit to you know North Vermillion. They grew up a lot, I think, this season, mainly because of the fact they were playing inside one of the toughest districts in the entire Acadiana area, and that's 4-4-A. When you have teams like STM, Turlings, and now you add in a program like LCA and Westgate, We'll talk, to West, we'll talk about Westgate in a minute. It's impressive as all get out. Now we got to get to other scores from around the area. Westgate, they shut out Neville 21 to nothing. Again, Westgate is a damn good team and has that potential to do some great things. I mean, they won state last year. They have a chance to maybe run it back and go back to back like they're the Chicago Bulls. But when you beat a team like Neville, I don't care if it's select. Non-select, the split, Division One, Division Two, Division Four. If you beat a team like Neville in the playoffs, that is a huge feather in the cap for the Tigers out in the barrier. So getting big ups to Westgate, getting it done last night. Bro Bridge, they blasted by DeSoto, 42-13. Liked that kind of contest. Bro Bridge getting it done. Next up, we got to go with LCA. I hope to goodness you pounded the over in this ball game, you degenerate gamblers. And we've got some degenerate stories coming up later on in the program. So, LCA beat De La Salle 70-49. to This was the definition of a shootout. You never know how those things are going to go, and I love to see it. I love these kind of games. Absolutely intriguing. And it's even more intriguing when you see who's on the other side of that bracket. And who would that be? Well, it's the Turlings Rebels. We get a rematch of one of the best games of the entire high school football season in the Acadian area with Turlings beat Archbishop Shaw. So now we have LCA Turlings Part 2 this time over in Turlings Home Stadium. I'm telling you, if there's one game I would go to this weekend, it's got to be Turlings LCA just because of the intrigue of that ball game. And there's also, when you think about it, there is an actual clear chance that we have an all-Acadiana, all-Lafayette state championship game in two weeks. Because obviously St. Thomas More is on the other side of that bracket. They'll be taking on Edie White. Now does STM just roll past Edie White? That's a different question that I don't know the answer to, to be quite honest with you. 
So we have that go down. You have LCA. They beat Dale South 70-49. Turtlings beats Shaw, Archbishop Shaw, which is a pretty good game, to say the least. Notre Dame, the Pios of Acadia Parish, they get it done shutting out Episcopal of Baton Rouge. Next up, St. Charles Catholic. VC, the Screaming Eagles, pull off a huge win over Southern Lab, 17-7. Next up, St. Martin's Episcopal in the semifinals. Then we go a little bit more towards the Lake Charles area. Obviously, we're here in Lafayette, but we also simulcast on 104.1 Lake Charles. So got to give a shout-out to uh, Iowa. They take down one of the best mascot names in all of high school football, in, in all of high school sports, really. And that is the Wampus Cats. The Leesville Wampus Cats come up short 31-14 Iowa. Moving on to the state semifinals, taking on North Dakota. They have a chance to, I believe they're undefeated, if I'm not mistaken. So they'll be a team to kind of be interested and invested in as we approach the tail end of this regular season. And you know what I'm keeping an eye on is what I'm going to have for lunch as soon as I sign off here at 11 a.m. Because by then, this place will be open and starting to fill up with people on a Saturday, especially when you've got a lot of big games. Namely, you've got games like Michigan, Ohio State, the Iron Bowl, LSU A&M, the list goes on and on. This is the perfect weekend to just pig out and enjoy all kinds of great football inside Twin Peaks on Johnson. But also, this is something that I want to try because time is running out for me to try this, and that is flatbreads. I love pizza. Put it on a flatbread. I am all the way here for it. And they've got in-house made flatbreads running till the end of this month. So hurry up and get yourself some flatbreads. They've got great options, including the Hottie Jalapeno Popper, Hawaii 5-0, the Italian, and the OG Pepperoni. I have no idea which one I'd wind up going with, but I think my final two would be the Italian and the OG Pepperoni. So come find your new favorite and ask your Twin Peaks girl for more details and also availability. I'll be asking about that as soon as I sign off here because I think I definitely would love to try a nice flatbread before I go out and enjoy the rest of my Saturday full of football and still some food. Because honestly, I know you all are probably tired of having all those leftovers. I know I want to probably run through a good bit of mine the last couple of days. I can vividly remember a time when I had probably two or three days worth of leftovers from Thanksgiving. Not quite there yet, but trust me, I'm certain a lot of people are getting tired of some mac and cheese right about now. So why not come on down to Twin Peaks on Johnson, opening up at 11. We're out here. So come say hey and go enjoy some great food and some great drinks and also some phenomenal scenic views. We'll go ahead and take a quick timeout. When we come back, we're going to have on Scott Rabelais talk about the LSU Tigers as they head into a fun ball game against the Texas A&M Aggies, which you'll hear right here on the game. So we'll talk with the legendary scribe for the Baton Rouge Advocate next here on the game, 103.7 Lafayette and 104.1 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Dome and CD right here on the game. 103.7 Lafayette and 104.1 Lake Charles. 
Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Appreciate you listening in, as always. So let's waste a little time and get out to the game hotline. Let's get on a legendary scribe for the Baton Rouge Advocate talking Tigers with the one and only Scott Rabelais. Scott, how you doing, man? I, I'm I'm doing fine. Thank you for that kind of introduction. The legendary just means like means you're old, but that's okay. It's still nice to hear. I mean, trust me, <laughs> trust me, Scott. You are an absolute <laughs> legend when it comes to covering the LSU Tigers. So let's waste a little time and get right into it. Heading into the season, did you ever expect LSU to win the SEC West in Brian Kelly's first season? You know, I'm one of those shades of gray people, so I don't. I never really like to think of absolutes. I mean, there's very few absolutes, but I, I just didn't conceive of any any notion that they would that they would uh, win win the division. And no, I mean, I, I thought okay, they could max out at ten and two, which obviously is the record they could achieve if they if they, if they win tonight against Texas A&M. But I didn't think ten and two was going to be enough to win the division. I thought that means they. They've lost a couple in, in in conference, and they probably second Alabama, who's seven and one or eight and zero. So no, I, di- I didn't think so. I mean, it's a remarkable achievement. Um, you have to say the SEC West is probably a little down over overall. You know, Alabama's not what they usually are. Texas A&M and Auburn obviously have struggled. Arkansas is not what they were last year. Ole Miss and Miss State are, have been okay. The Ole Miss has struggled of late. But uh, hey, you got to take advantage and play the teams that you play and. Certainly, LSU had to play a tough non-conference game in Tennessee, a tough non-division game in Tennessee. So, it's um, it's 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 quite an achievement, and is one of the more remarkable seasons that we've seen in LSU in the 30 years I've covered the team. And you know, before we get into tonight's game, I want to go back to that Alabama game for a quick second because it's something that's kind of stuck out in my mind. Is how much you think that? The decision to go for two at OT had to do with what happened in that Florida State game. I think I think it definitely had an impact. Uh, I, I wrote immediately that I thought they should have gone for it because you know Florida State had to lead the whole game and they um, you know their their uh, their minds were probably blown right. They just give up a ni- fumble to the goal line and give up a ninety nine yard touchdown drive and and uh, you, you know you should go ahead and and try to end it. I think that had, had some effect, and, and a, but a, probably a bigger effect was that Brian Kelly probably knew that trying to stop Bryce Young in that offense in overtime after overtime was not a, a winning strategy, and, and I thought it was, it was the best decision. And it was a great decision, in, you know, win or lose, really. If he didn't make it, people would have been like, yeah, I, LSU fans would have been like, yeah, our coach – Went for it, and, and he, he's got some. You know, he's got uh, he's got some. You know, he's, he's got some guts, and um, they would not have you know been happy with the loss. But it's you know, if nothing ventured, nothing gained, and obviously they gained a great deal w- with that decision. By the way, in 30 years of covering LSU football, there have been some dramatic games: Florida in 2007, and and uh, Auburn, you know, the one second pass, and, and games like that. But that that is the best. That's probably the most dramatic game I've ever seen in Tiger Stadium for all the things, all the factors that you consider. It was just amazing. All around, it was probably one of the most amazing experiences to watch. I could not believe how quickly that game turned into, like, it was a little low scoring to start, but then it turned into a very intriguing one. Now let's go ahead and look at Jaden Daniels. Because one of the things I'm thinking about is, do you think that Joe Burrow, excuse me, 
Jaden Daniels follows the steps of Joe Burrow in sixth round for the 2023 season? Because it feels like this team is on the cusp of maybe another national title if a lot of this key nucleus sticks around for 2023. Well, it's it's uh, another thing that's a surprise, right? Like like them winning the the, the division is that we're even talking about this, that people would be like, oh, Jaden, please stay. Those <laughs> you fans are like, Jaden, you, you like it here, right? You, you like the food, right? You, you want to stay, right? Um, uh, and I don't think anybody would, would have thought that before the season. Of course, I, I was. if someone asked me on a show over the summer, who's going to be the quarterback, I said, Miles Brennan. But that was kind of a recency bias thing. And, of course, Miles is not even on the team anymore. But, yeah, if he comes back, you're looking at the team, and you're going to lose Keishon Butte, uh, you know, almost certainly. And uh, obviously, the, the, with the transfer portal these days, you never know what's going to happen. But but most every, everyone else can come back. He can come back too. But everyone else can can come back from this team, who's a really key player, other than maybe Jeray Jenkins um, as wide receiver. Uh, so on offense, so that that's you'd have a tremendous, you know, experience and chemistry that obviously they lacked in the first month of the season. I, I think with this offense. Um, I think he came here with his mind of, and he hasn't said, but I think he came here with his mind of playing a year and making his available for the draft. I think that's why he came. It was to come and, and, and up his draft stock and, and, and be in a better program than he was at Arizona State. But, uh, you know, you can't run this much as a quarterback in the NFL. Obviously, he's LSU's leading rusher. You can't do that in the NFL. So is he a truly a, a great quarterback prospect? I mean, is he, is he going to go – in the first or second round, I, I don't know. I, I think if he sees himself as a first or second rounder, he's probably going to go. But I'm I'm thinking that, and this is just me. I'm just I'm thinking he's going to be farther down the list, third, fourth, fifth rounder. And if that's the case, he could be persuaded to come back next year. It's the most intriguing question, surprisingly, uh, for LSU going into the off season. Uh, and who would have thought that? Oh, exactly, especially when you think about the fact that probably people didn't want him on the team anymore after the Florida State game where he just was absolutely getting cooked by a Seminoles team that turned out to be a lot better than many of us expected. Yeah, I mean, and again, there was no uh, – yeah, they did turn out to be very good. Their LSU lost uh, Florida State one last night over Florida to finish 9-3, and three, and that loss – it looks like a better loss to the committee because they're going to be they're you know the top sixteen or you're probably going to be the top fifteen of the, of the CFP rankings this week. So that helps with the committee uh, with, with LSU's chances, especially with Ole Miss losing. And your second best win now is is becoming more tarnished by the week. But uh, yeah, he's 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 been uh, just you know very good. Obviously, the last uh, the last two. Um, Few months of the season, it just took time. You know, he came in uh, in the spring, yes, but it just you know it took time to develop chemistry and trust with the, with those receivers. Kind of like LSU secondary, you know, they, you know these guys uh, were literally from all I call them the United Nations secondary. They're literally from everywhere. You know, <laughs> they were they were all over the place, and uh, and the, you know only a couple of returners like like Greg Brooks and Sage Ryan, but uh, they've come together now and 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 and, and played cohesively. And I think that's something you see. From this offense, and it's not the it's not the 2019 offense, but it's a very good offense with some some good pieces if they can get some um, some good running back play, which obviously is a little bit iffy at this point because of the injury. We're talking right now with Scott Rabelais of the Advocate, and let's look ahead to tonight's contest against the Texas A&M Aggies. And we brought it up earlier how 
bad this team has been because we looked at it heading into the season that they would probably be a top two, top three team in the SEC West and probably top three or four overall amongst the SEC. Is there any way that A&M cuts bait on Jimbo after this game, or is that check way too large to cut? You know, everyone talks about how, how much money Texas A&M has, and it's true. I mean, just the whole school. I mean, they've got one of the largest endowments in the country, right, uh, for, for, a, for a public school. Um, they're, they're, and they have literally spent, in the last few years, hundreds of millions of dollars improving facilities and on higher uh, coaches' salaries. It's kind of funny now. You know, Scott Woodward, LSU's AD, hired Jimbo Fisher. It was for, you know, 10 years, $75 million guaranteed. And that, that kind of seems like a quaint sum right now, right? <laughs> That's the whole issue is that the new AD, Ross Bjork, uh, wrote, wrote him a new contract before this year with this, this huge guaranteed buyout and they owe him $86 million. Could they buy him out? Sure. Yeah, somebody sell, you know, and it's kind of a stereotypical thing to say, but some, some boosters sell a couple of oil wells and, you know, they got the money to, to buy out uh, Jumbo, $86 million. But even really rich people, and I'm not a really rich person <laughs> being a sports writer, but even really rich people don't like throwing good money after bad. And they're like, there's got to be a lot of bu- a bunch of boosters to me saying, like, we gave you all this money for facilities. To, we gave you all this money for salaries and support staff and everything, and this is the result. Now, you have to show me something before you give me uh, give you a bunch of money. And the problem is, the buyout doesn't like get cut in half, you know, to like forty two million, forty three million next year, which is still a lot of money. It only goes down by about ten million dollars a year progressively. So they've got a really huge decision to make. Talking to people who cover the team in in College Station, uh, I'm uh, I'm under the, I'm under the impression that he is going. Well, he will be back. You know, I don't think that's a huge debate or, or concern, but that he's got to make some changes and that he, he is he is um, open to changing, you know, hiring a play caller because obviously that's been the big crux of things. The offense is antiquated. He calls it on plays. That said, he's still got to allow the play caller to, you know, pick his plays and craft the overall, you know, style of the offense. And that's not their only problem. The offensive line has been bad this year. The defensive line has been bad. They're like 123rd in the country in rush defense. So they have more issues than just, hey, Jimbo's offense looks antiquated now. So, uh, but I think they're kind of they're kind of stuck with him, and they're going to have to try to make the best of it. And you know, in their in their, if you're an A&M, A&M fan, you have to look to a, a team like LSU and say, hey, if we Get the right coaches in here, like um, like like uh, Brian Kelly and uh, you know, a guy like Matt House, who who's a finalist for the Broyles Award, right, the, for the top assistant in the country, defensive coordinator. Get the right assistants in here. Get some good transfers. See some of these kids grow up. Maybe they can do what LSU did last year. It's more there's more reason to hope now for a quick fix than you used to have uh, because of the transfer portal. Now that said, a bunch of players could be going out the door in Texas A&M starting tomorrow. So that could be a problem, too. But at least the possibility exists. So, uh, yeah, a long answer to your question. I think it could be back, but uh, with some contingencies. And the the the, 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 uh, the seats could be pretty warm going into 2023. Pretty warm. Oh, no doubt about it, Scott. And, you know, while everybody else, Allen LSU staff, can't look ahead, we can. Do you even give this LSU program a puncher's chance in the game next week against Georgia in the SEC title game in Atlanta. Because yesterday afternoon, I wound up perusing a local sports book, and they didn't have the lines out yet, but the futures were clearly favoring the Bulldogs in this one. I think it was like minus 950. 
when I was perusing yesterday afternoon. Yeah, and, and rightly so. I mean, Georgia is the reigning national champion, and uh, yeah, we're looking on mine. We 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 use Caesars, uh, the advocate, and ESPN has uh, the Caesars has uh, Georgia a 15 point favorite and an 82 percent chance to win um, the game according to their FBI um, the FBI um, formula, which has loved LSU by the way over all of this season. The, the FBI, I think, picked LSU to go 10 and two this year when no one else thought they would go 10 and two, which is pretty amazing. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I, definitely. I, I think Georgia is a formidable team. Uh, obviously, you know, the, right out of the gate, you know, they, they crushed Oregon, which is still in the top 10, right? Uh, crushed them 49 to three in the, in the season opener, beat South Carolina, which just beat Tennessee 48 to seven, um, beat uh, Tennessee impressively 27 to 13 in a game that really was not that close, but then they've had some games where it's like, it just looked really clunky, uh, one at Missouri, 26-22. Uh, one last week against Kentucky, 16-6 up in Lexington, where a game that Kentucky really killed itself in the red zone. I mean, in Georgia, it's something to do with it, but, I mean, they, they killed themselves. So which, which Georgia team would else you get? If it's the Georgia team that crushed Oregon and, and Tennessee and Auburn and South Carolina, like, oh, this is going to be a really tough assignment. For LSU. It was the Georgia team that has struggled in the red zone and doesn't put up that many points. Um, then, yeah, I think they, they've got a shot. They've got to keep it, I think, a pretty low-scoring game. I think LSU's offense has a chance to do that. Uh, so, yeah, I, I give I give them uh, a chance. Uh, a a dual quarterback like Jaden Daniels, I think, it always gives you a chance against a team like, like Georgia. But they're probably the best defense uh, that LSU will have played. So it's going to be it's going to be a very very interesting. But yeah, a puncher's chance for sure. This is not Georgia's team this year is very good. But yeah, you don't think of them like LSU in 2019. You don't think of, like, like you know, Georgia. Does Georgia have a chance in 2019 against 2019 LSU? Well, they did, but, it, you know, you know, very very slim, uh, slimmer than this. You know, that LSU team was just not being stopped. Um, Georgia is not quite that, but obviously they're very formidable, and they're, they're, they're used to winning. They won, like, like, 30 of the last 31 games or something like that. I mean, they're, you know, they're, the only loss was in the SEC championship game. And this reminds me, setting the, setting the Wayback Machine for Wayback, this reminds me very much of, of 2001. LSU went to the championship game against Tennessee, who was number two in the country. All Everybody thought, oh, Tennessee, LSU had three losses, um, uh, the only three-loss team ever to win the SEC championship game. Oh, they're gonna, Tennessee's going to roll in there. Then they're going on to the national championship for the Rose Bowl. Yeah, they brought orange-colored roses, their fans. And LSU won 31 to 20. Again, puncher's chance uh, shocked the world, and it, it feel the season feels very much like 2001. And that scenario reminds me very much of that. So yeah, they, they, they've got a they've got a chance, and I, I wouldn't think of it as the biggest upset in LSU history if they did, because the the way this team has played the last couple of months. All right, you got me wondering in your mind, Scott, what is the biggest upset in LSU history? Well. Um, by um, by uh, point spread, I think it was that Florida game, right? Uh, two years ago, the, the the shoe game, right? Oh yeah, I, sure. I, th- I, I think that was it. Now, but in terms of the 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 opponent and and everything, uh, if I if I may, it was probably the nineteen sixty six Cotton Bowl when they beat Arkansas fourteen to seven. Arkansas was number two in the country and had won had won twenty twenty two in a row. And uh, LSU had, had had three losses, and it was people like, why are they even in the Cotton Bowl? And LSU beat them, and Arkansas had a chance to win the national championship that day. And um, 
supposedly on, on their way to the game, the, uh, the, some of the Arkansas fans are in the lobby of the hotel. Like, look, they did show up for the game. And, and Coach McClendon, Charlie McClendon's like, I, I didn't plan it, but I couldn't have planned it any better if I did. <laughs> you know, <saying> that. <laughs> and uh, that probably was the biggest upset. And, of course, the, the Pigs Will Fly game in 1993 when LSU beat Alabama ended the 31-game unbeaten streak. But, uh, but uh, overall, I think that, that point spread on the Florida game two years ago is the biggest. And that's the wild, That's one of the wildest games I've ever seen. <laughs> the hog, the shoe, it's unbelievable. It's insane to think about how many of those wild games LSU has been a part of, regardless of what program they're playing against. And before I, I let you go, Scott, because I thought about it yesterday when I was watching some of those Black Friday contests, with Texas and Oklahoma joining the SEC, do you see this like last game of the regular season shifting back over to being possibly Black Friday LSU-Arkansas again? That's a very good question uh, um, because uh, Texas and Texas A&M used to play on Thanksgiving uh, every year at the end of the season. Yep. And, uh, and, and, and they, they haven't played since Texas A&M, Texas A&M joined the SEC 10 years ago. Uh, so uh, you, you're not going to have divisions, obviously. The, the expectation is that they're going to go from an eight-game to a nine-game conference schedule with three permanent opponents and six rotating opponents. Uh, that way you play everyone in four years, which is much better than what we have now, obviously. You know, last year, LSU went to Kentucky for the first time since 2007, and that's, that's just ridiculous. You know, L, you know, LSU still has not been scheduled to go to Missouri. You know, they played there a couple of years ago with us because of a hurricane. Um, but, yeah, uh, this game has become LSU's season-ender. It used to be Arkansas. And, uh, you know, the, will, will the clamor re- – it's very interesting because, you know, Texas A&M is not happy about Texas joining the league. You know, they're like, uh, okay, everyone, we need a unanimous vote uh, on Texas and OU joining the league. That includes you, Texas A&M. Fine. We said it's okay. <laughs> you know, clenched, through clenched teeth, you know. But, um, uh, you know, are they going to want to play then? Are they going to want to play earlier in the season? I, I don't know. And if LSU, if, if LSU doesn't play them at, uh, at the final weekend – when Alabama's playing Auburn and Ole Miss is playing Miss State and Florida's playing Florida State and stuff like that, you know, who's it going to be? Um, I think Texas Stadium will be one of LSU's permanent opponents, right? So that kind of that kind of in- increases it, and the the possibility is, I think, very much. I, I would I would I would lean to Ole Miss and Alabama being LSU permanent opponents at this point. They've got obviously two huge rivalry games, the Egg Bowl and the Iron Bowl, that ain't changing, right? You're not, nope. They're not going to stop playing those those games on Thanksgiving weekend. So what else you end up being a, with a rotating opponent? I think I think it's one of the more interesting and, and quieter dilemmas that the SEC has in terms of trying to f- figure out a new schedule format and who's going to play who. And um, I think – because I think with Texas and Texas A&M, there's going to be some clamor to play again of the last game of the season, and there's going to be some that's not, you know. And uh, Texas, like te- Texas, I would think will play OU. Continue to play them in Dallas uh, during the state fair, whenever that game is. You know, earlier in the season, so you don't want that game right next to it. it it's very, it's very interesting. I, if I had to bet, I would say it's going to be Texas and Texas A&M again the Thanksgiving weekend. But that probably means, from all we know now, which is not very much, that LSU is going to be looking for a, a new a permanent opponent or a new opponent to play on Thanksgiving weekend. And it might, might end up rotating, which is kind of strange to think, but LSU is one of those teams that doesn't have, I always say this LSU has a rival. LSU has no rivals for whom that rival doesn't have a bigger team. You know, Ole Miss has got state, Alabama's got Auburn, uh, Texas, is Texas A&M. And it's, um, it's not, 
it's not the easiest situation in the world to figure out. It's a very good question, and, and I don't know if they know in Birmingham at the SEC office what the answer is just yet. Scott, thank you so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you down the road. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Y'all have a good day. Thanks. Uh, all right, Scott Rabelais of The Advocate. Let's take a quick timeout. We'll come back, wrap up the hour, talk about those two-lane green wave. They have had a magical season. We'll talk about that next right here on the game. 103.7 Lafayette and 104.1 Lake Charles. The world-famous CD may be in his 30s, but he's still a kid at heart. (laughs) Now, let's get back to a guy that has an unhealthy obsession with a number that offensive linemen wear. With Under the Dome. With the world-famous CD on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Right, quick segment here before we wrap up our number one. Not enough time to get to what I was going to talk about with Tulane, but still plenty of time to get to other stuff, including happy hour at Twin Peaks on Johnson, which is where we are located. Whatever your preference, we have everything from a tequila cocktails and extensive bourbon category to top shelf drinks and cocktails, as well as they're served over ice balls, the local crafted beers. Handcrafted whiskey cocktails, and it rounds out an adventurous drink menu that is second to none. And more importantly, don't forget about our 29-degree man-sized drafts. Hour two of Under the Dome, coming up next. This can be played at high volume. Live and local, this is the game. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. It's Saturday, and you know what that means. Finally time for the world-famous CD to step to the mic for two straight hours of no-holds-barred sports talk. It's better than Desperate Housewives. Are you ready? You better get ready. Yeah! Because Under the Dome with CD starts right now. Let's do it. I'm ready. Let's do it. Do it. And welcome back. Hour two of two officially underway here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Appreciate you listening in, however, you're doing so. If you're making your way around town, especially on this Saturday, obviously you've got a lot of sales going on. Not quite as crazy as it has been in the past few years with Black Friday shopping kind of changing thanks to COVID, which is a great thing, I think, to a certain extent. But more importantly, if you're out on the roads, make sure you're safe because it has been raining a good bit this morning. Hopefully you're not too swamped making your way over to Twin Peaks on Johnston. Also make sure... Just so you're aware, if you don't know about this, I learned the hard way. So I usually cut through the Acadian Mall to get here. But I'm like, you know what, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to go ahead and, and make the make the turn off of Johnston. They are doing some construction right now in that median. So that's blocked off. So there is a way to, you have to go a little bit further down and make the turn. But I think, honestly, the safer and easier way might be a little bit more of a pain now that more traffic is going to start flowing through as we head into the 11 o'clock hour. But you make that, you basically would come through and cut through the Acadian Mall. It's a little bit safer, I would say. But, you know, again, early in the morning, me thinking straight, never necessarily a good thing. But if you want to come out here, make sure you do so and just enjoy yourself and enjoy the eats, drinks, and scenic views 
I'm seeing this temperature gauge for the beer. It's not just ice cold. I'm talking about 29 degree teeth chattering beer. I'm talking 27.6 right now. That is ice cold and, and a little bit extra. But enough about beer. Enough about Twin Peaks on Johnson for at least right now. I want to get to my fave five picks to click for this weekend. Daryl, fire it up. The world-famous CD always has his eyes on the lines out in Las Vegas. Hit me. 20. Hit me. 21. Hit me. 22. Don't. Here's his five favorite bets for the weekend. Will he make you rich beyond your wildest dreams? Or will you be cursing him out after he goes 0 for 5? Let's find out on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest, Southwest Louisiana's, Louisiana's Sports Station. Station. So before I get into my picks, I think it's time for a little story time with CD. And it's about sports betting and how I made my picks to click for this particular weekend. So Black Friday rolls around. I'm off of work, right? So I say, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and enjoy myself. I make a trip over to the Chuck. I go ahead and make a trip over to a local casino. And I'll say this. The sports book over there is towards the top of the list in my book of the books I've been to so far since sports betting has become legalized. Haven't gone to all of them. Maybe in the next couple, maybe next year, I'll be able to mark off all the ones here in the area off my list and give you a, a definitive ranking sometime in 2023 of all the sports books. But this one at the Gold Nugget was spectacular. Dare I say sensory overload. I'm talking like 60, 70 screens all on different games. Like I couldn't keep focus on one game for more than a few minutes at a time. That's how crazy it was. I mean, I have Texas. That Texas game, by the way, was insane. The Texas-Baylor game, and then it was USA-England, 0-0 draw, all that stuff. Hands down, one of the coolest experiences ever. And then I'm placing a few bets here and there. Missed out on a parlay last night. Thanks a lot, Arkansas, and thanks a lot, UNC, for blowing it in overtime. That game was fantastic, by the way, the tail end of that. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about tonight's action and also Sunday's action. We got three in college and two NFL for you. So let's go ahead and start things off with the game, which you'll hear right here on the game, 103.7 Lafayette and 104.1 Lake Charles. And we got to start with the Ohio State over Michigan. Give me the money line at minus 315. I might not be here this time next week because our GM is hearing me going with the Buckeyes over his Wolverines. That said, this Ohio State team has been pretty suspect. If you're going to go ahead and take a bet on this game, I'd say take the odd, take the spread, which I haven't seen a new spread lately. But I'm almost certain, I think last I saw it was like an eight, nine-point spread. I would probably take the dog to cover in the game over in Seabus, as they call it, because apparently it's so ridiculous the way they handle that rivalry where they cross out the M and everything. Eight-and-a-half-point spread right now, I'd probably land towards that one for sure right now. Ohio State is currently minus 340. But when I placed the bet yesterday, it was a old 315. 
odds for that program. Now we got to go to another rivalry game, this time an in-state one. The Big Blue, Kentucky. I'm going with them straight up against Louisville at minus 150. I've liked what I've seen from the Wildcats this year. They've kept it very close against uh, – they've had some tough losses. They've been on a skid, but they've had some very competitive ones. Sooner or later, they're going to get their act together. I think this is a perfect chance to end the season on a positive note against the Louisville team that is good, but I feel like is going to slip up in a big way tonight. So, again, minus 150 there. Then we got to go with a Big 12 matchup. I would love to see chaos, but I don't think there's any way in hell we're going to get some chaos in this contest tonight. And that is TCU against Iowa State. So give me the Horn Frogs over Iowa State. It would suck to see them win if you're an LSU fan. Trust me, it would. But I think we don't see any chaos in week number 12. Again, TCU money line minus 360. Going to the NFL. It's crazy to think about, but the Cincinnati Bengals have been better sans Jamar Chase. I'm not saying they're world beaters, but I'm saying they're a pretty doggone good team even without him. And that's impressive as all get out. Again, this dude is an absolute dog, and they're playing the Tennessee Titans, a team that's kind of, as we like to say at home, Fair to middling, fair to middling, very much decent, but at the same time, he's just they're just never going to get to that upper echelon the way they're playing. It doesn't help matters that they're kind of wishy-washy on their quarterback. They're 7-3, yes, but I think they are a team that has some chinks in the armor. So give me the Cincinnati Bengals on a small money line over the Tennessee Titans at minus 150. Then we go with the Seattle Seahawks, a team that I think has had no business being that good. With Geno Smith, nobody ever expected in their life to see Geno Smith be a legit quarterback in the NFL and leading a pretty darn good Seattle team. Yes, it's not a Seattle team that's going to like strike fear into the hearts and minds of people, but they have a chance to get a second, get into one of those playoff spots. I think they're a team that absolutely can do that. You don't see anybody in the NFC South, hell, even the NFC North doing so. So it's either going to be them or it's going to be those San, Fr- those San Francisco, listen to me, those New York football giants, which we'll talk about in the next segment when I get to some more NFL conversation. But I got to go with the – Seahawks here against the Las Vegas Raiders at minus 200. Raiders are just bad all the way around. And I was seeing the odds yesterday, and I believe there was a, it was double-digit spread for that ball game. And I will say this much. If there's one thing you need to like listen to me about, it's this piece of advice. Anytime you see a 10-point dog, take it. It was actually the Rams. The Raiders-Seahawks game surprisingly a lot closer. It's a four-point spread. I wouldn't touch that with a 10-foot pole. But Sunday night football, Rams-Chiefs at plus 15.5 on the Rams, I might just take some of that action, boss, because that is, again, it's one of the weirdest things to do in the NFL. 
is to have a team be a dog by 10 points or more. More often than not, that will bite you in the ass, and you take the dog. The Giants on Thursday night were plus 10.5. I was immediately all the way here for it. Definitely a little disappointed that we've got that we didn't get a Tony Pollard touchdown. Thanks a lot, Cowboys. Because I would have gotten a nice parlay. A couple of parlays, actually, cashing on the Thanksgiving. And I would have had more money. Now I'm just a jive turkey sitting here talking about bets that I put placed yesterday over in Lake Charles, which was, by the way, a great time. So let's get to some other picks to click for this weekend, especially when it comes to your local teams. Cajuns line they're five-and-a-half-point favorites right now against Texas State over under a 45. For what it's worth, five-and-a-half points. It's a little tough for me to take that outright. But I will say I took the Cajuns' money line at minus 200. A pick for the under is good but not ironclad. And remember what I said just a little while ago about odds being high. I was seeing last night LSU A&M, the Tigers' ten-and-a-half-point favorites. I feel like I'm Admiral Akbar right now and saying, it's a trap. Do not take 10.5 points on, a, on LSU. I feel like there's a, that's a bad beat brewing right there. If you're going to take anything, take the money line. Yes, money line is the safety bet, the safety school of sports, but honestly, it's what I like to do because sometimes the spreads are so damn tough to predict. You never know where things are going to lie in. And at the time when I took it, it was minus 390. It's minus 410 right now. So maybe, just maybe, sprinkle a little money on the over-under of 47.5. I probably would take the over in this, but ever so slightly. Saints line, I've got to think that Saints get it done in terms of covering the spread. Nine-point underdogs, that's on that fringe. It's tough, but I've got to get him there. Again, I love double-digit dogs. I think nine points is right on that cusp, and he could probably still pull it off. So I put together a parlay for this as well, a same-game five-leg parlay last night. And I think there's a lot of potential here. So let's break it down. Christian McCaffrey, anytime touchdown, and also he goes over 44.5 yards. Saints, I took an alt spread here of nine and a half. Again, it just felt like that was the right direction to go there. Is nine is good, but I think nine and a half is a little bit better because it gives you that little wiggle room. Anytime you see a line that's like just a whole number, not a half, I kind of get skittish. But even then, a nine-point spread, I like it. Nine and a half, I like a little bit more. So we go with that. Alvin Kamara over 34.5 rushing yards and will go under 219.5 passing yards for one Andy Dalton. I think this could be a low-scoring ball game. I just do. Because we haven't, we haven't seen anything that makes you 100% invested in Jimmy G being the guy of the future for the 49ers or any franchise, really. I know that's a big talking point for a lot of people is that the franchise that is the 49ers 
is probably going to go with Trey Lance after the season. So it makes you wonder, where is Jimmy G going to wind up landing? I think this is definitely an audition for him to potentially come over for the New Orleans Saints. I understand everybody wants a quarterback in the, in the draft, but I feel like the one guy that you could have gotten is injured, and you're going to basically be taking him on as a red shirt in Hinden Hooker. That's the guy I feel like you could have probably gotten. Now you can probably get him even cheaper, and it doesn't necessarily cost you as much as it did in book. Just, again, my thoughts there. But enough about picks and odds and sods and everything in between. Let's get into some of my thoughts on the NFL because the Thanksgiving slate had me feeling like Macho Man Randy Savage. I was out here thinking, thinking on a Louisiana Saturday morning. Let's go ahead and take a quick time out. You're listening to The Game, 103.7 Lafayette and 104.1 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the Houston Astros and LSU Tigers. Ross Jackson, join the program at the bottom of the hour. After all your problems during the week, it's finally the weekend. Yeah, baby! That's what I've been waiting for. That's what it's all about. That means you're getting more Under the Dome with CD right now. On the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana sports station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Man, it's been fun being out here at Twin Peaks on Johnson Street. And if you want to be close personal friends with the people here, more importantly, getting up to date on all things Twin Peaks and get some free swag, why not sign up today at TwinPeaksRestaurant.com slash Peaks-Club and get started today. If you're a big fan of Twin Peaks, this is the place to be to get all those great discounts and stay up to date on all the great stuff they've got going on here at Twin Peaks where you get to have all the eats, the drinks, and then, more importantly, enjoy the scenic views. Plenty of nice deer hanging up on the front of the walls here. Got game day rolling, which, by the way, has been interesting to watch because it's the coaching carousel starting to come to an end because you've got Auburn football. Looks like they're leaning towards getting Hugh Freeze because, after all, Lane Kiffin seemingly, after the troll job of the century, earlier this week, he is not going to go over to Auburn, which, again, when you look at what's happened with that, fran- with that franchise, that program, it's been an absolute dumpster fire the last few years, more so because of all the stuff going on with the athletic department, the athletic directors, kind of not letting a coach do what he needs to do. Case in point, Billy Napier. Now, Billy Napier, year one at Florida, not necessarily that great, but you're not necessarily sure what's going to happen next there. But then you I also saw this earlier. Now, Matt Rule, it seems all but official that he is going to be the head coach at Nebraska, an eight-year deal I was seeing from a friend of the program and former beat writer for the LSU Tigers. Excuse me. For, well, she did cover the Tigers for a little bit, but she was also covered the Saints, and that is Amy Just. She's now covering the Cornhuskers of Nebraska. So that's 
what it is. So that's kind of where we're at right now. So you have that happen. Now you also have rumors that Deion Sanders, the guy that's turned Jackson State into the team in the state of Mississippi and I think the FCS, like a premier team that everybody's talking about, he's a potentially going to get a job over at Colorado. I was seeing it, the rumors pop up a little bit earlier. So trust me, this coaching carousel, it never slows down. It's going to be interesting to see where a lot of programs do wind up picking their guys. Got Ross Jackson coming on in about six or seven minutes. But in the meantime and in between time, I want to get to some of the NFL thoughts I have, especially from Thanksgiving Day. I brought the Giants. Yes, they covered a 10.5-point spread against the Dallas Cowboys. The Cowboys started to look a little bit more legit. And the Giants, who started off really well this year, and it's amazing to me because Danny Dimes has proven himself year in and year out to be kind of sort of mediocre. Now you look at him, he's actually proficient and has a chance to get this team to a wild card round. I never thought in a million years I'd see times. The guy that's kind of been a jabron and has probably more lowlights than highlights. I mean, one of the big things I think he'll be remembered for was the infamous Thursday night football run down the field. Nobody around him. Miles of green. And dude just eats it. Live in the living color on national television. It was the most hilarious play I've ever seen. And he just trips up on his own two feet. With wide open spaces, could have had one of the best touchdowns of his career. But he slips and falls, looks like a Melvin. Trust me, it's happened to me too. So, the Giants are kind of shrinking and fast. But the other thing I want to get to has to be the Detroit Lions. They may not be the best team in the world by any stretch of the imagination. They're good. And what I've seen from Dan Campbell, it's a step in the right direction for this franchise. And the Detroit Lions, they were competitive as all get out. I mean, they're 4-6 and six right now. I don't think anybody saw that coming, being a team that is 4-7, and seven, excuse me, 4-7 and seven, and almost beat a Buffalo Bills team that many had heading into the season favored to win the Super Bowl. It is mind-blowing to me. It also just speaks to me saying that this is a franchise that is going to be entertaining to watch. Will they be a playoff team? It seems less and less likely, especially in the NFC North, and you have teams that are a lot more competitive in the East. But Dan Campbell's team wasn't supposed to be a legitimate threat in 2022, right? But they're doing some good things. They're moving in the right direction. And then you have an opportunity. I'm just going to say it. You have an opportunity to really build off of the season because you are more likely than not going to have two picks within the top ten. Anytime you have that, it's a golden opportunity to really take that next step, take that next move forward. And trust me, the Detroit Lions have been a team for a long time that's been waiting to get to that next step. I think they can do so. Now, if Jared Goff is part of their plans, that's a different conversation entirely. But I think they 
Kind of have to keep him around for at least a little bit longer. Then we got to get to one other guy in particular, and that's Kirk Cousins. The man has been one of the most steady quarterbacks. Never great, but always good. Has had moments where he's very bad. But what I saw Thursday night, it changed the narrative at least a little bit. Because the biggest thing that has affected him in the NFL has been his ability to be the guy and win in prime time matchups. That's what has affected him and eluded him for a good chunk of his career. We fast forward to 2022 and Thursday Night Football on primetime TV against the New England Patriots. He got it done, and he looked impressive. And I'll steal a phrase from him. I like that. I like that a lot for him. This guy deserves the world. With all the talent that he's had around him, he's got Justin Jefferson, one of the best wide receivers in the game to freaking day. They shrunk under the bright lights in Jerry World against the Cowboys last Sunday. Thursday, you turn around, get the man his chains back. He's getting it done, and he got a huge win. And maybe the monkey's off of his back for a little bit because, again, when the bright lights are on the primetime national games, he shrinks under the pressure, under the bright lights. He didn't shrink in this one. He showed up and glowed up in that ball game right there. Some other NFL thoughts I have. I was talking about the Rams earlier and the money line. For Sunday Night Football, like, it was a two-touchdown spread. Take that and run with it. There's a reason why they're in that spot. They're just god-awful. They're god-awful. Yeah, the it, there's Super Bowl hangovers, and then there's this. This feels a lot like what I saw, and I've talked about it before. It feels akin to the Toronto Raptors after they won their championship a few years ago. Now, mind you, that was more an inevitability because there was no way Kawhi Leonard was going to stick around after that season. It was that one magical year, and they fell apart, they fell apart very quickly after. I haven't been back. I don't think they'll be back for a good while. So you have that. Then you have... The Miami Marlins of 2003, to a certain extent, both of their World Series runs have had, like, one good year, and then they fall off. The Miami Marlins is a prime example of win a World Series but not be able to sustain success for any inordinate amount of time. That's what I'm seeing with the Los Angeles Rams. This is not the Rams team from about 20 years ago that looked like they were on the cusp of a dynasty. But then Kurt Warner gets hurt. You wind up going with Mark Bulger, riding with him for a while, and that franchise fell off fast. It fell off hard. But it was after a few good years. This is Los Angeles Rams have one good year and win a Super Bowl, and they disappear. I mean, the same thing happened to them after they got to the Super Bowl and lost to like when they got to the after the Nola no call, they got there and absolutely laid an egg. They laid an egg against the Pats. I was trying to remember if it was the Pats or the Bucks. It's been so weird. Think about Tom Brady as a buck and how long that's been. You kind of forget about it. That the last time the 
Patriots won a Super Bowl was in 2019. It's weird to think about. Anyways, so the Rams are just god-awful. The Raiders are just as bad. And, again, it doesn't help matters that when you lose the Saints, who have been a lol cow in the NFL because of the way De- Dennis Allen's handled things. I had somebody tell me the other day after the Saints game that they don't think D.A. gets another win. I think Dennis Allen gets another win. There's no doubt in my mind about that. And I'll tell you where I think he gets it. You get in in Atlanta. And I wouldn't be surprised if you split against the Carolina Panthers towards the end of the year. Now, the Bucks is a possibility, but it feels like that's a pipe dream. It's very much a pipe dream. But I'll be keeping tabs on what goes down with the black and gold. And speaking of those black and gold, we'll talk about that next with our good friend, Ross Jackson, host of the Locked On Saints podcast and Saints Wire contributor, part of the USA Today Network. Next, right here on Under the Dome with CD on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Sports Station. Most sports talk shows turn it up to 10 on the amp, but Under the Dome is far from your ordinary sports talk show. It takes it just one step higher. These guys are laughing. Now back to the show that gets the lead out. Under the Dome with CD on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on the game. 103.7 Lafayette and 104.1 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the Houston Astros and the LSU Tigers. We are we're going to use the made-up radio word efforting to get on our guy, Ross Jackson, Locked on Saints podcast host and also contributor for the Saints Wire, part of the USA Today Network. Talk some New Orleans Saints as we head into a big ball game over in San Fran against those 49ers, which I, I think they've had a very different look with all the changes they've had. Because let's be honest, this team could have folded in a big way. Like, we're, let's just be honest. He, they could have folded in a huge way with everything going on with Trey Lance getting hurt in week two. But lo and behold, they've been able to kind of right the ship in a big way. More just because of the fact that they had gotten a great trade deadline move in Christian McCaffrey. Run CMC hasn't necessarily been like setting the world on fire, but getting him was massive. It was a great step in the right direction for a franchise that needed it. Because let's be honest, they headed it, they started the season off absolutely horrible. Offense was not working in the opener against the Bears, which, mind you, was more because of the fact you have a offense that looked putrid in the rain. But then you have Seahawks 49ers. They get a, they start to wake up. Broncos, is a, it was almost a baseball score type game. I'm, I was blown away by that, to say the very least. So hopefully this team is getting it done. And they have a chance. Like It's crazy to think about that the 49ers, even with all the changes they've had to make during the offseason, they were going to move on from Jimmy G, start with Trey Lance. Trey Lance didn't look great, but I think he's gonna, it's going to take some time for him to really become an all-star. 
All right. DeWitt, talk to me, Goose. Do we have Ross on the line? He says he says he was he was there. So uh, like I I'm telling him to call the call the hotline. Okay. So like I said, I'm trying to get in touch with him. Yeah, I'm just texting him right now. Call uh, so so we can kind of get him aboard. You know, again, we're efforting to get him on. Talk about the Saints in a big game coming up this Sunday. But I do want to tell you because again, it's almost 11 o'clock and I'm getting damn hungry. Again, I'm, I'm a big boy, so I'm definitely hungry. So I want to say one thing I'll definitely have as soon as I sign off here is probably a nice flatbread. They'll be open up. Get ready to just enjoy a delicious flatbread at Twin Peaks. You need to get out of here and try these in-house made flatbreads. They have four options. The hottie jalapeno popper. If you like your stuff a little spicy, maybe I'm, that's not my thing, but it could be your thing. The Hawaii Five O. I feel like that's some pineapple on pizza, which, again, not my favorite thing. But if it's yours, more power to you. Now, these two, I am all the way here for. The Italian and the OG pepperoni. I am all the way here for some flatbread pizza. And I'm going to be chowing down on that after we wrap up this program because it's available but it's only available till the end of the month. So we've only got a few days left to enjoy these delicious flatbreads. And I was able to ramble just long enough about flatbreads over at Twin Peaks on Johnson, which is where we're at right now. And I'm seeing A.J. Hawk on College Game Day. That's cool stuff. But what's even cooler is we got our guy, Ross Jackson, aboard the game hotline. Ross, how you doing, brother? Hey, buddy. Doing great. Doing great, man. How you holding up? I'm doing good, man. It's absolutely dreadful outside, but talking to you is making it a lot better of a Saturday morning. Glad to be a part, man. Glad to be a part. Yeah, no, I'm out here right now as well, uh, walking back, and it is uh, it is not the prettiest day out here. <laughs> oh, no, trust me. Thankfully, I'm indoors inside of Twin Peaks on Johnson, but I'm seeing the fire going off. It's definitely, it's definitely, t- definitely that time of year where I'd much rather – like being a building enjoying a nice cold one right about now. Yeah, but, for sure, for sure. <laughs> let's go ahead and start talking about the New Orleans Saints. How about that win last Sunday against the Los Angeles Rams? Yes, this is a Rams team that is having the definition of a Super Bowl hangover, but I think that that's a step in the right direction for a team that needed that. Yeah, for sure. Look, I, I think that this was the Saints' best game of the season their best win of the season and I know that they had a shutout against Las Vegas Raiders but a lot of the Raiders issues were also self-inflicted not getting their not getting the ball into the hands of their stars you know not being able to string together drives things like that and the Saints certainly played their role in that but I thought that this game was their best of the season because they had to also manage adversity because the Rams never really stopped punching back and then the Saints were able to bounce back there and make a good um, second half out of it keeping them to just six points in the second half you saw the way that they were able to manage and uh, you know, keep their offense very diversified with the issues of Taysom Hill throughout. So uh, I really enjoyed that game for New Orleans. I thought that that's exactly kind of the shot in the arm that they needed. Is it too little, too late? We'll see. But in, nonetheless, it was still a, a good victory for a team that, that really needed one in that, that, that fashion. And, Ross, one of the other things that I was just thinking about is how proficient the offense looked throughout. It looked like Andy Dalton was starting to get a little more comfortable with the game and we talk about it all the time is 
the game was starting to slow down for him a little bit more. I, I understand he's been in the league for a long time, but at certain points in the season, he just couldn't kind of get out of his own head, it felt like. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that was part of the uh, you know benefit of the way that they actually mixed in Taysom Hill. I thought that, the, the you know, obviously you saw the way that having Taysom on the field impacts the defenses, but then also because of the variety of ways that they utilized Taysom, when Andy was on the field, there wasn't any tipping in terms of what was going to happen. You know, they only run when Taysom Hill's on the field, so therefore they're looking to pass when Andy Dalton's on the field kind of stuff. You didn't really see any of that throughout this game. And so I thought, again, the diversification of the offense and what they're able to do with Taysom Hill under center ends up actually benefiting Andy Dalton under center, too. And it doesn't hurt, too, that you, you know, put in a guy like Taysom and you're still able to distribute the ball, but you're able to kind of beat up a defense a little bit. Hey, Ross, you still there? Hey, Ross, you still there? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. You kind of cut out there towards the end of that. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, just talking about, you know, being able to kind of put a little bit of pressure on that Rams defense and then being able to then take advantage of a shot over the middle of the field the way that they did to Chris Olave. That's the formula that you're looking for for the Saints offense. Talking right now, Rawls Jackson, host of the Locked On Saints podcast and contributor for the Saints Wire, part of the USA Today Network. And one of the other key takeaways I had from this ball game was how the defense looked. And you, think about it. You were without Cam Jordan, the Cal Ripken of this Saints team. And it was nothing short of impressive to see how this team was able to put it all together. What you saw that defense, I liked it. Far this year, and he wasn't out there. But even still, they still have talent on that offense. Um, you know, guys like uh, Van Jefferson, as well as, of course, uh, Allen Robinson. And so, you know, seeing these guys be able to match up despite the injuries and continue to have, you know, positive play over on the defensive side was great. Now, you want to see them not give up over 140 rushing yards to a team that had averaged only 68 going into the game. But, you know, that's one of those things where you're looking at where you can still improve even when you come in and have a positive performance like they did. And, you know, looking at the game coming up tomorrow afternoon, Raw, so it, would, it, it just feels weird the Saints are going to be playing at 325. I'm all the way here for it. Don't get me wrong. It just feels strange. Yeah, we've seen a lot of noon games for this New Orleans Saints team so far uh, this year, which honestly has been, you know, kind of on the media side, it's been kind of nice because, you know, you do the, the game and then you have all of the sort of post-game, you know, pieces that you're writing or that you're recording, all these other things, and you still got time left in the day after it's all said and done. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, an afternoon game for them. But it comes at a good time, right, because otherwise you're playing a 10 a.m. game over there Pacific time. So it's kind of nice that the, that the Saints kind of don't change their body clock very much, having a 125 kickoff uh, over on the West Coast when they're used to playing these noon games so far. So there's some positivity there, um, you know, in terms of where, where that could all end up. Exactly. And when you look at this 49ers team, like they have – been able to turn around after a really up and down start to the season with Jimmy G and then the trade deadline acquisition of Christian McCaffrey. How much have you seen that offense kind of change from what we saw the first three, four weeks of the season to now? Well, I think the, the usage of Taysom Hill is a big part of it. Um, I think, too, that the leaning on the run game is a part of it as well. Now, you know, Will, if we watch this New Orleans team put up over 200 rushing yards, team rushing yards, on a couple of occasions so far this year. 
So, you know, that can't be looked past. But even beyond that, in this game against Los Angeles Rams, they ran for less than 90 yards, but they committed to the run game. They still ran 24, 25 times in this one. And they split up the way that they did it. You saw nine carries from Taysom Hill, 12 carries from Alvin Kamara. And so I think that's a big sort of part about this, is that when you look at the early portion of the New Orleans Saints, season they didn't really have an identity right now it kind of feels like they're gathering one uh, or at least they've realized what their identity is and they're committing to it a little bit more uh, in terms of you know them being kind of that run first team that we sort of expected them to be um, even coming into the season and so I think that's a place where you see the offense has evolved and then the other piece of it is the usage of Taysom Hill and how often they're getting him out on the field and how often they, you're seeing him on that quarterback now things are three and one on the season in the four games where Taysom has taken 10 or more uh, snaps. And it was a, a season high this past week with 17 or 16 and then, and then a non-play. But, um, but you know, 16 snaps, 16 plays run with him at quarterback. And that allows you to kind of mix and match, take advantage of the mismatches that that creates. Uh, get the run game going, also kind of spice up your pass game a little bit. There's a lot of positives that come from that as well. So those are the ways I think we've seen that things often change so far this season. I was talking more of the 49ers offense, Ross. Like I, I, I get what we're talking about with the with the Saints, but I want to talk about the 49ers offense because it looks like they have shifted a lot more over the last few weeks. Yeah, no, that, that's for sure. I mean, they've done a good job. I mean, look, you, you add Christian McCaffrey to that offense, and that ends up giving you a whole other weapon. And, and I think that the, the multiplicity or the versatility of the offense is something that they're starting to figure out as well. San Francisco 49ers lead the NFL right now in yards after catch. Everybody turns into a runner once they get the ball in their hands. So when you look at what they've done over the past couple of weeks with Jimmy Garoppolo, or not past couple of weeks, but what they've done since they've gotten Jimmy Garoppolo in is that he just distributes the ball. He gets the hand. He gets the ball into the hands of the playmakers that are around. He's only got four interceptions on the season, I believe 15 touchdowns. So he just distributes the ball, gets the ball into the hands of, of, of those playmakers, and the playmakers are kind of in a position then to do the rest. And so I think he's such a good fit for that Kyle Shanahan system of just being able to accurately facilitate the offense. Um, and that's one of the ways that you've seen sort of that San Francisco 49ers offensive attack evolve, particularly over the course of the past couple of weeks when everyone's gotten into rhythm. And he's got a lot of, he's got a lot of weapons over there to get the ball in the hands of, and, and each one of them is a threat when they get it in their hands. One more before I let you go, Rawls, because i got to talk about it. This past Monday night during Monday Night Football, they showed before the game George Kittle out there dapping up with Penta El Cerro Miedo of AEW fame, and he gave him a luchador mask. Like That was the most amazing thing I had seen before the game, and I'm wondering, like, what would the like Saints luchador mask look like? Would it be something similar to what we saw? I think pretty close. I mean, I think, like, obviously you, you have to lean into the black and gold quite a bit. The only thing I would say is, like, maybe a fleur-de-lis on the forehead, perhaps one that's kind of like the, the tip of it's like right or the bottom of it's like right in between the eyes and then kind of like grows with the arch of the forehead. I, I think there's some really interesting ways to do that, but I don't think it's like the New Orleans Saints go-to fleur-de-lis. I think it's a, more of a, you know, it's, it's luchador, right? So it's got to be, you know, ornamental and all the other stuff. So you put it to, like, twists and twirls and extra leaves and things like that. And I think that would be – that might be the way to go with it. It definitely feels like it's the way to go, and I'm absolutely looking forward to seeing this game tomorrow night. Ross, thank you so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you next week. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. And how about that, that two-lane green wave, brother? 
Oh, roll wave, roll wave. Looking forward to that AAC championship coming through the 504 this year. It's going to be a lot of fun. So really, really it's, excited for those guys for sure. It's going to be a ton of fun, Ross. Appreciate you coming on, my man. Talk to you down the road. Absolutely, bud. Take care. Talk to you soon. All right, that was Ross Jackson of the Locked On Saints podcast. Appreciate him taking time out of his busy schedule to join us. And also appreciate our guy DeWitt for getting it done. Like he's Gordon McKernan out here getting the guests aboard the program. Going to take a quick timeout, one final take, and we'll talk about those two-lane green wave. Have enough time this go-round to get to it. So we'll wrap up the show next here on The Game. 103.7 Lafayette and 104.1 Lake Charles. One final take here on Under the Dome with CD. Welcome back. Absolutely loving it. Right now, the music's starting to crank up here inside Twin Peaks on Johnson. So come on out here. Get ready to enjoy some great college football. We got the big game, or the game, coming up right here on the game. But we talked about the two-lane green wave earlier. I got to say, give this team a lot of bleeping credit, man. Nobody in a million years thought they'd see two-lane where they're at right now, especially compared to what we saw last season. Haven't watched a whole lot of two-lane football but whenever I was out at the sports book, I definitely caught my attention, especially the second half of that contest. In between watching the Texas-Baylor game, USA-England, this one definitely was there. Had about 100 screens in my face yesterday, but I loved it. Tulane not only beat a Cincinnati team at home and ended their long undefeated streak at home, but a lot like what we saw with Alabama back in 2019, what I saw from Tulane at this time was fantastic. They'll be hosting a title game next week at Tulane at Yeoman Stadium. Excuse me. I want to say Tulane. It's Yeoman now. At Yeoman Stadium? They opened that place years ago. That place is going to be rocking. So don't bother knocking when it comes to that team. Nothing short of impressive. And again, round of applause for one Willie Fritz. Dude has flipped the script. And what I mean by that is saying... That guy went 2-10 and ten a year ago, rebounded, rebuilt this program, this university, said, hey, we see what you're doing. We're going to trust the process. 2-10 and ten last year, 10-2 and two. a year later. It's insane. Like You don't see that kind of turnaround that quickly, especially when you don't fire the head coach. Because anytime a team goes 2-10, and ten, you start to think, oh, hey, they should fire him. The heat's on him, all this stuff. Not just no, but hell no. This is the guys you want to root for. And he's going to be a hot commodity if he can be consistent. Because if he drops down like 8-4, and 6-6 six and six type range, and you see him have some years he's good, some years he's bad, and jumps up and down, I think there's a much more distinct possibility of the wave kind of receding. We don't want it to be like an actual wave where it rolls up and down. No, we want to see it be a model of consistency. And I like what I've seen from Willie Fritz, what he's done with this program. He's He turned Georgia Southern into a top-tier top SBC team immediately after they jumped from the FCS to the FBS. He's got something brewing. So trust me when I tell you, Georgia Southern, excuse me, Tulane, is going to be a team to keep tabs on in the not-too-distant future. That's about all i got for the show for you today. We'll be back here, Twin Peaks on Johnson, next Saturday morning, getting ready for Championship Saturday, including 
the LSU-Georgia contest. I am excited for all that and so much more. So for our guy DeWitt on the ones and twos, threes and fours, appreciate you for getting this thing on the air. For Twin Peaks on Johnson, I'm the world-famous CD here with you. And you've been listening to Under the Dome with CD. And coming up in mere moments, we've got the game, Michigan, Ohio State, on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Peace out, everybody.